Okay, it's great to be back, as you know. Probably I was away for a couple of weeks there in Savannah, Georgia. We went over to an Anglican church through a contact of someone here from Northern Ireland, and we went over to do a retreat. And we were there last year as well, and God really moved amongst the ladies. And um, we went back this year, and we had an amazing time at the end of the retreat. I suppose it was very significant for me because one of the ladies who was there was an older lady, but like myself, an older lady who was the wife of one of the bishops. And she stood up and she said that she felt God had started to burn something in the lady. It was like bread had. Had, was going into the ovens that there was a burning in the house that bread was being baked and she said whenever the women start to bake bread it impacts the men in the house and uh, I know that that church is very alive very they've come through a lot of difficulties but they're very alive in the gospel and they're really seeking more of God more of the Holy Spirit so just lovely that we can have this link with a lady, group of ladies over there and a new ladies here and that we can that we can be aware that God is actually baking something in our hearts. He's actually, there's fire coming around us, ladies, and God wants us to know that he wants our lives to impact others. So, yeah, we, we went to uh, Savannah, I went down to, in Georgia, but on route we went to New York. We just had one night, an afternoon and one night in the morning in New York. I'd never been in New York before. And we were coming out of the airport on the, we arrived on a Friday, and we arrived about half one, so we were, there was three of us, a girl called Alison, another girl called Diane, and myself. So we were going as fast as we could, we heard you need to get the yellow taxi. So we're walking as fast as we can, all these arrows going for the yellow taxis. And on the way, I said, Lord, let's just pray, Lord. We're going to pray that you give us the right taxi driver, and that he's somebody that will just be right for us, and that we'll have lots of fun, and this will be an adventure. So we arrived in a bit of a queue for the taxis and the wee man was sending us off to various taxis. We arrived up to this taxi and out jumps this, well he didn't jump but he got out anyway. Um, <laughs> an older man, let's put it that way, an older man and dare I say this, one eye looking at us and one eye looking for us. <laughs> he gets us into this taxi and with all our luggage he had to put some in the front seat and some in the back and the three of us are sitting up like three studies in the back of this this very quickly realised that we could hardly see out of the windows because the windows were that dirty. Then we realised that he didn't have any water in his windscreen washer, so he was going like this as well. <laughs> and then he started, he started to quiz us. He started to like, he was, he looked a bit cr serious and a bit cross first glance. But then he was a typical New Yorker. Then he got into, you know, the chat and he started then to ask us like, quiz us. And he would start to tell us, now nah, there's five bows in New York. And we were saying, what are those? Where are the what are those? We've got like Manhattan and Staten Island. And so we realised it was boroughs he was talking about. <laughs> so he would then start asking us questions and we, we would forget the answers. And he would start giving off then, you're not listening to me. And we would say, yes, yes, we're listening. We're like three wee girls in the back of the car. <laughs> and uh, then he says, he was, as he was going down under the underways, he'd say, everybody keep quiet. I, I've got to concentrate going through this tunnel. And he would, he would try to get us here. And we began, this one in the middle, Diane, who was sitting in the middle, my friend, she's a nurse, and she says, he's got night blindness. <laughs> he's going down through the tunnel, and he's saying, I can't see. Them lights, they're not good enough. They, I can't see too good. And Alison, she went to ask a question. He says, keep quiet. Keep quiet. <laughs> so we're in the back. We're cracking up in the back. And then, then um, 
He says to me, lady, I was sitting over on the right hand side, lady, I got a, I got to change lanes, lady. So he says, put that window down. So I put the window down. He says, put your hand out. So I put my hand out the window and come Well, girls, how we got into the hotel, I do not know. But the next morning, we were all sharing a room, and the next morning, we just laughed as we went over it. The tears ran down our face, and one of the girls, Dan, was saying, You asked, you prayed for the right man. And look what God gave us. And, and then we said, well, We did ask for a bit of fun. So, you know. so the reason I tell you that is because I feel that for the last number of weeks that I have been speaking to you at EGAS, I feel like we've been driving around a bit. I feel we've been driving around Hebrews chapter 7, end of chapter 7, chapter 8 and chapter 9, and, and chapter 10 as well. We've been kind of doing a wee detour and driving all around through those verses, and we've been looking at this, this tabernacle. And I was really tempted to jump on in, but I just felt God said, no, you're driving around, but you, you, you're driving towards something. You're driving towards chapter 11 in Hebrews. And you'll see in your notes, I just said that I feel that, uh, I think I did put it in your notes, didn't I? I said that we're, we're driving, uh, we're on our way to meet the heroes of the faith. So that's for next week. But at the minute we're still driving, right? And I hope I'm not like that taxi man. I hope that, um, that I can keep you on the road and keep you focused. Because I think there's some things that are amazing that God wants to say to us today. And the title today is, You Have Been Left a Legacy from God. It's about being, it's being part of God's last will and testament. Isn't it amazing that that's the way the scriptures talk? But before I, I do that, I wanted to read to you, and I'm, you know, I'm going to read quite a few verses because I sort of thought rather than reading a bit and then jumping away and then reading a bit, that it would be better if you could concentrate and I'll kind of try to point to different things as we go along, that we kind of get this sort of into our hearts and go through this bit of reading first of all. Okay, so are you ready to stick with me? I've got the wrong Bible. I've got that many Bibles up here. Right, here we are. So we're going to read from Hebrews 9, verse 11. And I'm, living, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. So let's just go for it. Right? So don't tune out. Keep, keep your ears perked. So Christ, verse 11. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of the created world. With his own blood, not the blood of bulls and goats, Christ has entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Remember the holy place was this bit, and the priest used to bring the blood of animals up through here once a year and here, but the Bible says that Christ has done it once and for all. No more need every year keep running in with animal blood of animals. Verse 13, under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from certain impurities. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences. Just note that word, our consciences, from sinful deeds, so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and, and people, so that all who are called can receive the internal, the eternal inheritance. The inheritance is the will. You're in his will. All can receive the eternal inheritance that God has promised them. 
For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins that they'd committed under that first covenant. So the first covenant, that's one of the priests will come in right, and it was kind of a temporary thing, but Christ will then wants to do a permanent job of forgiveness and give us the new covenant. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins that they'd committed under the first covenant. Now when someone leaves a will, it is necessary to prove that the person who made it is dead. The will goes into effect only after the person's death. While the person who made it is still alive, the will cannot be put into effect. That is why the first covenant, that's the priest in and out, the first covenant was put into effect with the blood of an animal. For after Moses had read each of God's commandments to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats along with water and sprinkled both the book of God's law and all the people using hyssop branches and scarlet wool. Then Moses said, this blood confirms the covenant that God has made with you. And in the same way, Moses sprinkled blood on the tabernacle and on everything used for worship. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. That is why the tabernacle and everything in it, which were copies of things in heaven, remember, a copy of things in heaven, had to be purified by blood of animals. But the real things in heaven had to be purified with a far better sacrifice than the blood of animals. For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again, like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. And just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again not to deal, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. Are you still with me? What we've got more to go. Chapter 10. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifice under the system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing to those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshippers would have been purified once for all time. And since their feelings of guilt and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. So he said, if this had worked with the priests going in and out offering blood of animals, if that had worked, so they might as well have continued with that. But it didn't actually it didn't actually finish the job. Because it says instead those sacrifice those sacrifices actually reminded the people of their sins year after year. For it's not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Now if we look, hop on down to verse 9, it says, uh, Jesus said, he can, this is what God says, he cancels the first covenant, that's this one, all this running to and fro, he cancels it in order to put the second into effect. Remember the night before Jesus died on the cross, he said he was going to give a new covenant in his blood. He was going to give his blood, no longer the blood of animals. It says in verse 10, For God's will, for God's will was, made, was, was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ 
once for all time. Verse 12. But the high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sin. This is Jesus, our high priest, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins for all time. And then he sat down. Now, a bit more reading to do yet, but just to say that whilst the priests were offering here, they were never allowed to sit down, not for one minute, because their work was never finished. Had to keep offering blood, offering blood, as every time the people were reminded of their sinfulness, offering blood, year after year, year after year, never allowed to sit down. But once Jesus gave his blood, here's what it says, then he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And that's because the work was finished. Then it goes on to say, he sat down in the place of honour at God's right hand, and there he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, Christ forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Now, I wanted to look down just for a, a couple of, well, one wee quick verse in verse 22. Therefore, he says, let us go right into the presence of God, with sincere hearts, fully trusting him, for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Now, I know that's been a really long reading, but I just thought we would go for it, and that's going to cover the first few points that we're going to make, because the point of this all is that we are part of God's will. Now, I printed this out about a will. It says a will or another name for a will is a testament. So that's why we say as when somebody dies their last will and testament was whatever. So the first thing we need to know is that it's a legal document by which the person or if you like the testator, the person who's left made the will, expresses his or her wishes as to how his or her property is to be distributed at death. I don't know if any of you have ever been made part of a will or not. Um, and, the, and, and the person who makes the will puts down the names of the person or the people that they want to leave the various things to. And then after they die, there has to be what a legal term is, the person who makes the will is a test, testator. But after they die, there has to be an executive of the will. Do you agree with me? The executor of the will has to actually make sure that what's in the will happens. So there's an executor to manage the estate until it's finally distributed. And, uh, okay, that's all I need to say about that. So, we need to remember this whenever we look at these scriptures, because the first point that we're making is that you are part of God's last will and testament. That's what it says here. That's what we have read uh, this morning, that uh, Jesus wants us to know that we are part of his will. Now, um, Hebrews, Hebrews reminds us, and we've read a whole lot there, he reminds us that the person must be dead before the will can be distributed, and that's why Jesus had to die. Um, way back in the Old Testament, whenever these priests were going back and forth, Moses gave them all the instructions about the tabernacle. And whenever Moses got those instructions, he got them up on the mountain. And he came down from Mount Sinai and he told the people what God was saying, what they were going to have to do to bring all this blood of animals. And then at that point, and you can read about it in Exodus 24, eh, after he had got the law, he read it all out to them. And then an animal had to die. And in order to, 
To ratify or be the executor of this first arrangement, Moses had to have the blood of an animal and he sprinkled everything with blood. And in fact, Hebrews tells us that he used blood and water. And he sprinkled the book of the law and everything, he sprinkled everything and everybody was with blood. And that was to be, to ratify or if you like, to be the executor of the old arrangement. But now we're hearing that that old arrangement, that old covenant is no longer what God wants because he sent Jesus. And instead of the blood of animals, we know that, that it's Jesus' blood. Jesus is going to give himself. And so because we know Hebrews 3 tells us that, God, that Christ is greater than Moses, and reminded ourselves that the book of Hebrews is all about everything being greater, the greater arrangement, better, con- better and greater covenant than the old one, and Jesus is greater than Moses. And so when Jesus died, he was a testator, that means he left the will. But then because he, he rose again from the dead, not only is he the one who wrote the will, but he's the executor of the will, so he's the one that's going to make sure that it's going to come to pass, that you're going to get these blessings. And we're going to look today at some of the blessings that are in these, these chapters. Some of these things that's in God's will for you. I, I'm just wondering if we're actually cashing in on what God has legally given to us. Are we actually enjoying what he has left us as our legacy? And we're going to look at a few of these things today. So we're read to you, and I'm not going to read it all, but again, I'm trusting that you're remembering did you remember that we noticed that one of the things that, that, that God has done for us is that he has made it possible for our conscience to be clean. Now, did you remember whenever I was reading that, that even though they were offering blood through animal sacrifice all the time, that the people never really felt their conscience were clean? Because every year, whenever they would come with the same routine again, they'd just be reminded that they were sinful. So they kept being reminded. Did you ever have anybody that keeps casting up to you about something that happened about 20 years ago? (laughs) Did you ever experience anybody like that? Well, that's the way they felt because their consciences were never actually clean. But you see, when Jesus came to die, he came to die once and for all. It doesn't have to be repeated. And when you receive him, you're cleansed from your past, from your present, and for your future. And you don't have to carry around a guilty conscience anymore. God wants you not only to realise that he has left your will, that he has left you, he's left your legacy, but he wants you to know that you do not have to carry around a bad conscience. If something has happened in the past and it keeps coming up and keeps coming up, you need to know that Jesus has died for that and paid the price for that and that you don't have to be worried about that anymore because it's paid for. And if you want to, you can go and talk to somebody and bring it into the light. But you know that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all sin and you don't have to carry a a bad conscience. And you see, whenever we realise this, it actually sets us free to live. Because I'll tell you, if we're running around uh, feeling guilty about something that happened 10 years ago or something that happened yesterday, we're not going to be really happy people. So when Jesus died, he made it possible for us to have our consciences completely clean, white clean. And that can be a daily, ongoing basis, just a fresh cleansing every day. Before I get up here every day, I ask the Lord, just to wash the clean again. Just as simple as that. I don't have to go through a whole lot of, of penance. I don't have to go through a whole lot of stuff and plead and plead. No, he wants to wash me clean because his blood was shed to wash me clean and he wants to do it. 
And so I can have that constant washing. I don't have to carry around a bad conscience. And I think that's a great gift. In this day and age we're living, do you not think that's a really good gift? To not have a bad conscience about anything. To know that Jesus died. You see, whenever they brought those lambs, and they brought them as a sacrifice, the priest didn't uh, look at the person and say, no, how are you doing? Are you okay? Have you been bad today? No. The Bible says that the priest examined the lamb, the wee animal that was going to be slain. The priest examined it to make sure it hadn't any defect, to make sure it, was, it, was, it had no wounds or it wasn't in any way damaged. And if the lamb was okay, if the lamb was perfect, then they could sacrifice it, put it on the sacrifice. And you see, whenever we come to God, he doesn't look at us, but we look at Jesus Christ, who was the Lamb of God, and we realise he was perfect. And because he's perfect, we're made clean. Because his, his perfect life was given to cleanse me from my sin, then it just completely makes me clean. And actually, when God looks at me, he sees me in Christ. I am actually in him. You see, it's what we call the divine exchange. I, he, he took, whenever he died on the cross, he became sin. He took my sin. He became sin for me so that I could become the righteousness of Christ in him. It's an exchange. And this is the way God wants us to live. He wants us to know that he died once and for all. And he wants us to know that our consciences can be made clean. Now, uh, the law, all of this was about the law, you know, the Ten Commandments and all the different commandments about everything. And you see, we could never keep the law. So the Bible tells us that all the law ever did was bring condemnation. The law just made us feel guilty because we realised we couldn't keep it. But Jesus came and he kept the law on every point. And he's the perfect sacrifice. Therefore you can have a clean conscience and so can I. And that's an amazing gift. And so the first point is that we have been left this will. We're in God's last will and testament. We can be washed clean from any kind of guilty conscience. Let me read to you Romans 8. 2 to 4 says, The law of Moses was unable to save us, so God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body, like the bodies that we sinners have, and in that body God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son to be a sacrifice for our sins. It tells us in Ephesians 1 and 7, that God is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and he forgave us our sins. And Colossians 2 and 4, it tells us that he cancelled the record of the charges against us, against us. You know all those things that's on your conscience, all that stuff that's just written on your conscience that you keep thinking, oh, I'm a horrible person, I did that 20 years ago and thing I did when I was a child. You know the way those things sometimes the enemy tries to torment you with the past? The Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross, that he cancelled, he cancelled the record. He put a big X through it and he wrote on a pad in full. He paid for your past. He cancelled the record of the charges against you and he took it away by nailing it to his cross. Listen, your sins have been nailed to his cross. And he did that because he was right in the heaven itself, we're told. Remember we said that these, there were the three areas, the outer court, and if you look in the back of your notes, you'll see that there's a wee diagram. Don't want you to look at that all the time, but it might just remind you. We said there was the outer court here, where the priests give the offerings here, 
wipes themselves before we enter the holy place, and then we the holy of the ball. And the priest went in here in the holy of the ball only once a year. And that was to, to provide blood, to cover for the, the sins of the people for a long year. And we said that, that the outer court reminds us of the first heaven, that's the atmosphere around earth. The holy place reminds us of the second heaven, which is outer space. And the third place, the holy of all, reminds us of the third heaven, which is where God dwells. That's where Paul said he was caught up into the third heaven. So we know that there are three, three heavens. Whenever they keep saying, when the astronauts have been going around, they only get to the second heaven. They think this is all there is. And they're flying around outer space and they're looking for God, but God dwells in the third heaven. There's more to, there's more to our universe than what the scientists realise. And so we see that Jesus went through the heavens. He actually, Hebrews tells us, he went through the heavens, right into heaven itself, with his own blood, to shed his blood as a sacrifice for your sin and for mine, so that he could do it once and for all. Listen, the job's done. You don't have to keep going over it and over it and over it. For any sake, let go of it, because God's forgotten about that stuff with you're still ranting and raving over. Let it go. Let it go, because God loves you. So the third thing that we need to look at is that, and I need to read a couple of verses in this one, is that your legacy, your, the will that God's left, the legacy left to you, is not only that your conscience is wiped clean, but that God's word once you ask Jesus to be your saviour, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. And remember we said that the outer court is like your body. The holy place is like your soul. That's your mind, will, and emotions. And we said the holiest of all is like your spirit. And when you trust Jesus to be your saviour, the Holy Spirit comes to live in your spirit. And we've been looking over these past weeks at how your mind, will, and emotions sometimes get to be out of sync. Your flesh. And it's the Holy Spirit that speaks to you, that draws you back into line with the Holy Spirit, so that your mind, will, and emotions can be healthy, that you can feel good. Who wants to feel good? Nobody. <laughs> I want to feel good. I want to have that peace where I'm lined up with the Holy Spirit, and where my, my mind and my will and my emotions is not all over the place. And I know you do too. And so, get yourself sorted here, morning. we've got to read. Okay, so chapter 10, verse 16 says, This is the new covenant I will make with my people, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them in their minds. I will never again rem remember their sins and lawless deeds. So what is that telling us? It's telling us, well, I'll read the next verse as well. And when sins have been forgiven, there's no need to offer any more sacrifices. Okay. So what we're saying here is that the, the next promise that God has given, not only that our conscience is wise clean, but also that now God has fulfilled an Old Testament prophecy because in Jeremiah 31, he promised He'd give a prophecy that he would put his laws in our minds and write them on our hearts. Isn't that amazing? When you ask Jesus to be your saviour, the Holy Spirit comes in to live in your spirit and he actually begins to write. He gives, there's something, because the Holy Spirit's now in you, you're carrying the presence of God with you because you're carrying the Holy Spirit. And so God's actually written on your heart. I believe your heart is really your mind, will and emotions. And so the Holy Spirit's 
writing on your heart, you have a desire. Would you agree with me? Once you ask Jesus into your life, there's a desire. You want to do it his way. Maybe your own flesh, you know, runs away with you now and again, because we're all going to, you know, do that from time to time. But there's a desire in you that the Holy Spirit puts, and God writes his word in your heart, and you just want to see that word fulfilled. And so over this past weeks, we have been looking at that as well, and we've been remembering that the Holy Spirit is in our spirit, and the Holy Spirit takes the word of God, and he cuts into our mind, will, and emotions. It says he divides between the soul and the spirit. Now remember that the veil of the temple was here, and when Jesus died, that was cut in two. We're going to look at that in a moment. But you see, sometimes sin kind of puts up a barrier between our soul and spirit, and it's the it's the Holy Spirit in you that speaks through the Word of God and, and begins to begins to chop through this and impact. Your soul, would you agree with me? The Holy the Word of God comes down into your soul and begins to touch you and cut into things. And, and it's amazing how the Word of God, when the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God, how He can actually show you things in your mind, your own emotions, that can just set you ready and line you up with God's Spirit. I think that's amazing. I think uh, to think that God loves you and loves me so much is just amazing. So God fulfilled his promise. He said he would write his laws in our hearts and that's exactly what he has done. And and God wants us, you see, God has never been into just the head knowledge. He wants our hearts. He wants all that stuff you have in your head to drop down to your heart, down into your mind, your will and your emotions. And he wants you to get lined up so that actually you can live this stuff out and that you can have victory in your life and that you can enjoy him. And, and I love Hebrews 4. We use that verse a lot. You know that the word of God is alive and powerful and able to cut between the soul and the spirit that's here and, and that, that his, it's active and it's, it, it, it does something in us that brings change. And that is good news. I tell you, we need to know that good news. And John 15, I noticed this this morning, as the Father has loved me, this is what Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. I believe that's what God wants. Enjoying, abiding in, being aligned to, receiving his love. I believe that's what God's saying here. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And then he goes on to say, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So God, Jesus knows that whenever we are lined up with the Holy Spirit and listening to his word and allowing his word to change us, that actually that's what brings our, makes it make us have true joy. That, that's what brings us the joy that we're longing for and the peace that we're longing for is the Holy Spirit. It's Christ in you. The Holy Spirit is Christ in you. He, he shows you what Christ's saying. He, you're, you're the tabernacle of today. You're walking around carrying the presence of God and he wants your mind, willingness and, and emotion, the soul part of you, to, to enjoy it as well. So we've said that the legacy that God has left you is that you're waste, you're con no more need for a, a, a filthy conscience. We've said that it, that it, 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 it 
it means that the word of God is written in your heart and you can actually start to get into line with it and you can begin to pray to God. I love Philippines, it says make about prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. You can begin to think of the things that are good and true, the things the Holy Spirit wants you to think about. And when you do that, you find this peace. This peace comes that just is like a big wall around you and you can be walking through trauma and walking through difficulties but still have this supernatural peace because you're aligned with God's spirit and you're believing what God says. And I think that's just amazing. I just think that is totally amazing. So the third thing I want to look at that God has left to you is a a whole new way, a bold way for us to approach God. (coughs) And this is to do with the veil of the temple because... And again, I need to read a couple of verses here. So let me see. Hebrews 12. Let's look down at verse 19. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him, for our guilty conscience have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. So another translation says, and I think I have it written down here, uh, that um, and if I haven't, you'll look at it yourself in, in the new um, King James Version. It says that, his, um, that the veil of the temple was torn in two and Hebrews tells us, I think it's a new King James Version says, that, his, that, that we have, that the veil was torn in two and we can enter into God's presence through his flesh. This translation doesn't make it that clear. In other words, it wasn't just that we went through a literal veil, but it was because Christ gave his body and because his flesh, he gave his flesh, he gave his body to be broken for us, so that through his flesh, we could enter into heaven's presence. I think that's awesome. That Christ was prepared to give himself as a sacrifice so that you and I could enter into this way of um, salvation. We could enter in and out of God's presence. And I want to read this to you in the Amplified Version. Here's what it says. By this fresh, new, and living way, which God has initiated and dedicated and opened for us, us through the separating curtain, the veil of the Holy of Holies, that is through his flesh. And since we have such a great and wonderful and noble priest, Jesus, who rules over the house of God, let us all come forward and draw near with true, honest and sincere hearts in unqualified assurance and absolute conviction engendered by faith by that leaning isn't this by leaning of the entire human personality on god in absolute trust and confidence in god's power wisdom and goodness having our hearts sprinkled and purified from a guilty evil conscience and our bodies cleansed with pure water i want to read this to you this is from joyce Meyer's bible She says, believing we are made right with God through our faith in Jesus Christ is a fresh, new and living way. And it's one that gives us freedom, boldness and confidence. Trying to follow the law, in other words, trying to do everything right in order to earn God's acceptance, only ministers death 
and, and Joyce has written in here, and every kind of misery. Isn't that the truth? But Jesus offers us his grace, which produces life. Listen, because of what Jesus has done for you, in his will, he has made it possible for your conscience to be wiped clean. He has made it possible for his word to be written in your heart. And he's made it possible for you to enter into this way, this living way, right into the presence of God. And he wants you to come boldly. I love Hebrews 4 and 14 where it says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. We can come right through now. There's no barrier here, girls. There's no barrier between your soul and your spirit. God wants you to come right into heaven. There's no barrier between earth and heaven. He wants us to come right through boldly and to find the grace and the help that we need in time of need. So if you've got a problem today, you need to know that you can talk to God about that and you don't have to be hemming and hawing and worried that you're unclean or anything else. If you've asked Jesus to be your saviour, you're clean. You're wise, you're clean. Don't allow the enemy to put false guilt on your conscience. The work of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all sin. And he wants you to really enjoy this bold, new way into his presence. He doesn't want you hanging around, uh, hanging back. No, he wants his people, he wants us as his daughters to rise up and start going in through that way that's been opened up for us, right into his presence, and he wants us to do it now. And then, I want to move from there, I'm flying through this, but there's a few things I really want to get through to you. As well as being our conscience being wise, as well as having his word written in our heart, as well as knowing there's a way into his presence, he wants us to experience the legacy of working out his promises. Because I think a lot of us read the word of God and we, we read the promises, but we don't actually apply them. We don't actually step out and work them out in our lives. And I think that we need to do that because Second Peter 1 4 says that God has given us exceedingly great and precious promises. And if I ask you today, you know, what promises are near to you, maybe you could tell me a few verses that you think are important in your life. But I believe God wants us to be, you know, putting, putting our entire weight, our entire trust on his promises and asking him to give us more promises as we read his word every day. Because I don't think God wants his word to be something that we read like once or twice a year. He wants us to have it like a daily bread that we eat every day that speaks to us, that strengthens us when we get the promises that we need for that day. There's a promise for every day. And God's word is full of it. And God wants to speak to you through his word. And he wants you to really enjoy these promises. So let's look at Hebrews 10 verse 23 now. Where it says, verse 22 tells us to go right in there. Into the presence of God. Fully trusting him. And then it tells us in 23. And let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. So we need to know that God is trustworthy. God wants you to trust him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will what? Direct your path. He'll show you how to live. He'll show you what to do. You've got a problem today? Well, acknowledge him. Talk to him about it. And he will supernaturally show you how to go through that situation. That's the truth. And we need to trust him, and he wants us to trust him, and he wants us not to be wavering. Now, James 
uh, one, some verses are verses 5 to 8, and they talk about we need to ask in faith. There's no point in me asking God to help me and then thinking, I'm maybe not bothered today. We need to say, do you know what? I'm not going to waver in this. James tells us not to waver because as soon as you start to waver, you're like a wind, you're like a, a boat that's on the, on the sea and the wind's just tossing about. Did you ever see anybody and they were just like they were like a wee ship and they're just tossed about and there's no peace because they were wavering, they weren't trusting in God. And sometimes we're like that. Sometimes because we begin to doubt what God says, we start to waver and we stop it. We lose our peace. And God doesn't want us to be like that. And, and as well as that, not only does he want us to trust his promises for ourselves, but he wants us to start and encourage others around us because it goes on to say, not only to let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that God gives us, but it says in verse 24, let us think of ways to motivate each other to acts of love and good works. So when we get together today, we want to actually, not just me from the front to motivate you, but I'd love that we could start to motivate each other. It happens in the prayer room when we go in there before we meet there at quarter to ten. And for an hour, that's what happens. We actually encourage each other and we motivate each other. And that's what God wants amongst his people. He wants us to be women who are enjoying God's promises for ourselves, are full of the word of God, enjoying what God says, knowing that it's worth working for us, and able to speak into other people's lives. And I know we all go through tough times. And I know that sometimes we can get down, and there's nothing wrong with that, because we need to be real. If we're going through a tough time, then we need other people to come and help us and motivate us, because you know what, there'll be times when we can motivate you, but there's other times when we need you to motivate us and help us. And so we recognise that, we recognise that we need help from God, but it's about, it's about believing his word, and whenever somebody is beginning to waver, we come and encourage them and say, look, we're standing with you, we're going to believe God with you. And the Bible says that if two of you shall agree, that there's power in that. And we do actually need each other, we need the body of Christ, we need each other to come and pray for each other, and stand with each other, and see God working out his promises. And one of the things I've learned in my life is, that sometimes it looks as though God isn't answering the promises. Sometimes it looks as though God's not answering and he doesn't even hear us. But when we were talking in the prayer room earlier, we're saying God wants to expand our faith. And he wants to, he's saying, it's tough right now, but are you going to trust me or not? I actually brought this, whoops, a, a couple this morning. I, uh, I printed off a few, a few things here and I really wanted to read out some of them to you. Faith isn't a feeling. It's a choice to trust God even when the road ahead seems uncertain. Somebody called Dave Willis wrote that. Faith is not something you just have. It's something you constantly have to work towards. Faith is not a feeling, it's a decision you have to make every day. Somebody called Al Carraway wrote that. We need to speak to each other and encourage each other to hold on to faith, to hold on to God. Another one here says, God didn't promise days without pain, laughter without sorrow, our son without rain. But he did promise strength for the day, comfort for the tears, and light for the way. If God brings you to it, listen, he will bring you through it. Now, can you get that? Let's repeat that. If God brought you to it, he will bring you through it. Here's another one. There are times when we have to step into the darkness in faith, confident that God will place solid ground beneath our feet once we do listen god is constantly working 
to expand our faith. He wants us to become mighty heroes of the faith. We're going to talk about some of them next week. But that's what he's working on us. And you know what? You can't become a mighty hero of the faith if you don't go through a few tests. Like, I mean, unless a child falls a few times, it's never going to learn to walk. So why do we get so surprised because a few difficult things happen? Like, what do we like? Give it to me easy. It's not what we want. Give it to me easy, Lord. And Lord saying, but I want you to grow. And I know if I don't, if I don't stretch you, you're not going to grow. And that's what God wants for us. He wants us to be a people who grow. And he wants us to experience increased faith in these days. And God is working out his promises. And uh, we, need to, we need to encourage each other. Did I read you all of that verse, verse 25? Um, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of Christ's return is drawing near. So we're supposed to not only encourage each other, but don't neglect meeting together. Because this is a great place where we can be encouraged and encourage each other. And we need to remember that as we see the signs around us of Christ's return, that we need to be meeting all the more often and encouraging each other all the more. Because this is what God's word says. And God wants you and me to get stronger. And he wants us to experience, he wants us to experience uh, what he has for us. Here's what Amy Carmichael wrote. Let us not be, remember Amy Carmichael was a lady from Bangor, I believe, who went out and did amazing things on the mission field and also wrote lots of books. Here's what she says. Let us not be surprised when we have to face difficulties. When the wind blows on a tree, the roots stretch and grow the stronger. Let it be so with us. Let us not be weaklings, yielding to every wind that blows, but strong in spirit to resist. God wants us to become stronger. He wants our roots to go down into him. He wants us to be women who are actually working out his promises, even though there are difficulties. Even though it looks as if everything's going haywire, that we can keep our eyes fixed on him and keep going forward trusting in him. And that rejoices his heart. So, so far, ladies, we've discovered what? That he wants our conscience to be washed clean, that he wants his word to be written in our hearts and to line up with the Holy Spirit and to have our mind, will, and emotions in agreement with his word and experience his peace and joy in the Lord, that he wants us to be bold about coming this way that he's opened up. He wants us to keep coming. Jesus himself said, I am the way. And he wants us to keep coming to him whenever we're going through difficulties where it seems like there isn't any way. Keep coming to him and he'll make a way for you. And then we want to also experience God working out his promises. And in his will, he has left you many, many promises. Your legacy is God's word, his promises. Now, we're coming to the last few bit, and I really wanted to just uh, really say something about this that I think is really important. And I'm aware my time is flipping me, it's almost up. So let's just look at Hebrews 10, because we're going to see that the legacy that God has left you is, now listen to this. God's wonderful warnings. Right? I think that's really important to put the wonderful in. Because you know what? God's warnings are really important. Because God warns us by his spirit whenever we're going to go the wrong direction. And I think that we need that. We need to be warned. If we're about to make a wrong turn, God wants to warn us by his spirit. And that's what was happening here. Because remember that these, these Hebrews 
Hebrew is simply the name for a Jew, and these were Jewish believers who had come through an amazing amount of, of persecution. They had stood for God, they had believed in Christ, a lot of their, a lot of their fellow Jews had rejected Jesus as being the Messiah. These were the Hebrews, the Jewish people who had believed that Christ really was the Messiah, that Christ had died for their sins. They had come through a lot of tough times with their, their Hebrew, their Jewish brothers and sisters, ready to kill them, to persecute them because of their stand on Christ. And they'd already come through it. Maybe you've come through stuff today and you're just feeling weak. That's not the way these guys were. They were just weak. And they were beginning to think, they're beginning to falter a wee bit, and they're beginning to think, I wonder would it be so bad if we went back and joined some of the other Jews and maybe we, we could go back and still, you know, still believe in Jesus, but we could go back and have the animal sacrifices again. Maybe, maybe we could compromise a wee bit. Did you ever feel like that? We could compromise a wee bit here or there. Maybe that'll be okay. And the Holy Spirit speaking to them through this chapter, and here is what he has said. Let's just look at it from verse 26. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging tide, the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and we and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. He also said the Lord will judge his own people and it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who went down, who were thrown into jail. See, these ones they come through a lot. And when, you, when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So he's saying, don't throw away this confidence in the Lord. So the warning was, don't be compromising. Look, you've already come through. Some people take these verses as being, oh, you might you know, lose your salvation and all the rest of it. No, these are words that are saying, look, if you go back to those old Jewish ways of the animal sacrifice, there's nothing there for you. There's nothing there. It's only Christ and you have what you need. And to take a backward step and to make a compromise would actually just be like insulting the Holy Spirit. It would be like trampling on what Christ has done for you. And he's saying, don't do it. It's only a warning. And then he goes on to say to the same bunch of people, he says now to them, not just a warning, but he's saying, come on, I know there's a warrior in you. Come on, you've already come through the tough times. Come on, with me, you can overcome. And he goes on to say, where am I? What verse am I now? Um, verse, tw- verse uh, right down to verse 30, 30, 30, 35. So don't throw away this confident trust in the Lord. He's still the same group of people. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient, I want you, this is a bit, I really want to speak for a minute or two on this. Patient endurance is what you need right now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while the coming one will come and not delay and my righteous ones will live by faith. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. 
But we are not like those who turn back from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Now we're coming near the end of this, but I really wanted to say a couple of things about this because, listen folks, there are times in life when we get it tight. And there's times when we have the divine energy and God fills us and we can go through. But sometimes after being in a battle, for a long time, it's possible for us just to get weak. Would you agree with me? It's possible just to feel, you know, I've been battling here for such a long time. And it's possible in our weakness that we can begin to feel, you know what, what's the point? Maybe I could just compromise a bit here or a bit there. Have you ever felt like that? But God's by his spirit here, he's warning us, look, don't go back. Have patience. Endure. Listen. When we belong to Christ, there's a time when we have to be patient. And we have to have patient endurance. And you know what? Patience is something, like, if we're honest, there's not too, I know we're like a militant woman, but there's not too many of us have an awful lot of patience. Would you agree with me? You know, wherever you're in the car and somebody's waffling up in front of you, like, what comes up? You're ready, you're beginning to get ready to shout at somebody in that car, would you move out of my way? Did you ever feel like that? There's, a, there's an impatience in us. And I, I, did anybody read the UCB's notes for today? Yeah. About patience? Okay, I got Jane to bring up my phone here that I could just read a couple out because I do think this is important and if you've read it, well, it'll do no harm to read it again because I just think this is a good word for this morning. You've probably heard the joke about the lady who prayed, Lord, give me patience, and I want it right now. <laughs> That's not so funny when it reflects how you live. If you get annoyed at having to wait for anything, your impatience can hurt you. The only person who has the power to make things happen the way he wants them to is God. But even he is gracious and respects our will and waits for us to get in line with his will. It costs patience to us, it's incredible. How long does it take for our mind and emotions to get in line with what the Holy Spirit's saying? How often we're over here somewhere? Would you agree? And since we are not God, think how foolish it is to become upset with the supermarket assistant, the bank cashier, or the slow driver who doesn't move at warp speed. Listen to this. Jesus said, by your patience, possess your souls. What does that mean? Your soul, your mind, and emotions, Holy Spirit here, prompting you to be, to be patient and wait. When you listen to the Holy Spirit, you begin to possess your soul, your mind, your will, your emotion comes into line. Recently, I've been trying to catch myself on with this. The minute I start to get all the up, and it happened even this morning, I was getting, we were, you know, trying to get things done, and all this last minute was preparing for each other, trying to get in time for the prayer meeting. It was so easy to get all head up, and you just need to calm right down and say, you know what, Lord? This is okay. I'll just come into line with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's never in a rush. He's never, he's never impatient. And God wants us to possess our souls, our mind, will, and emotions. Here, the Word of God refers to our emotions. Jesus is saying, take control of your emotions and show a Christ-like attitude. Wouldn't that be great if we in this place could start to show a Christ-like attitude to each other? Whenever there's a cue that we wouldn't be pushing somebody out of the road and say, anyway, I need to get up there first. We would have a Christ-like attitude. I'm almost finished, but I really want to read this out to you. Your ability to handle delays 
Disappointments and detours will determine your level of joy and peace. Isn't that amazing? Is that not true? When you discover that you cannot control what's going on around you, decide to, to control what's going on within you. Right? You can do that. God wants us to have one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Overcoming impatience involves three things. Admitting you have a problem, as long as you rationalise and justify your attitude, you won't grow. Secondly, it means a commitment to allow the Holy Spirit to produce patience in you. Patience doesn't come by making New Year's resolutions or counting to ten. It's the fruit of the Spirit and it grows with your cooperation. And three, it means a decision to be in the moment rather than obsessing what must happen in the moment. Listen, I believe that God wants us to know that there's a secret to our joy and hope and that God wants us to live in that place of serenity and peace and he wants us to know that he died to give us this. I wanted to read this out to you before we finish. And I, I want to read it like a declaration over you before we finish. May God give you a sense of what he is up to in your life. May you see glimpses of the breakthrough that is just up ahead. May you with all your heart Believe that trusting God over what your eyes see is totally and completely worth it. May you shift your weight of all your logical reasonings and onto the weightiness of his powerful promises to you. You have got help and resources that go far beyond anything that you could ever need. Now, here's what I'm saying over you as you leave. Smile with joy. And walk by faith today because God has got you. He's got it all. He knows everything. And he's covering you. Even your back, he's covering you. And so as we leave today, let's rejoice that we have this wonderful legacy. Let's experiencing, let's experience putting everything into his hands so that we can experience God's hand in everything. Let's make a conscious decision today to trust him and to begin to live out the legacy that God has bought for us through the death of Christ on the cross. And next week we're going to start to look at some of these, some of these heroes in, that, in the hall of faith. And we're going to say, you know what, I could do that. I could experience that in my life. And I'm looking forward to this next season. Boy, today we've been running around, driving around these chapters now for quite a few weeks. But you know what? We're getting the car into fast forward. I'm getting a new automatic car soon. No more of the years for me. Straight into it. Foot to the board. We're going to drive straight into the Hall of Fame next week. Are you ready for it? Amen. We're going to sing our last hymn. This is Santa's amazing grace. We all know this one. Let's just stand and sing.